Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I have as my guest a special treat, Beck Holland. She is the CEO of Flip the Script and probably a name that's familiar to many of you. Beck, welcome. I'm glad to be here. Happy to be here. <laughs> Excellent. So would you mind giving the audience one minute on your history, please? Oh, one minute. I don't know if I'll, I'll need all of that time. But hi, everyone who's listening. My name is Beck, and a little bit of my history. TLDR, I was an account executive for about six years back in Texas, selling heating, lighting, cooling projects to good old boys, and then made a transition to the uh, Bay Area and uh, decided before I was going to be a closer again that I should you know, figure out what the ecosystem was. So I took the step back at the age of 30 to be an SDR and got to work for two MarTech companies two sales tech companies. So uh, Just Gong, G2, and Chorus. Wow. And build the go-to-market approaches uh, for them within sales development because I noticed a palpable gap between how I used to prospect as an account executive and then uh, how sales development uh, teams were kind of running. So I... I had developed a litany of theories of how I can make a positive impact, you know, with my teams from a practitioner perspective, and then started an after hour series to publish some of the results and, and methods of that and uh, coined it, flipped the script, and the rest is kind of history from there. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So um, that's quite a pedigree. So tell me this, when you speak to leaders, surely there must be a sense of oh God, here we go again, in terms of seeing the same old traditional mistakes uh, being compounded and defended and justified by leadership that can't let go of what doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. okay. So we're, we're coming at this from the same position. Okay. Yes. So for leadership to embrace efficiency across the entire revenue operation. What needs to change in how they are measured and compensated? Oh, that is a very, very big question. I'd say from the bedrock, just kind of to your your first question, is I started Flip the Script as a result of seeing things not working. And I started banging down the doors of different sales development teams and different prospecting teams in the Bay Area, thinking surely I'm the one out, I'm the odd man, you know, odd woman out. Surely everyone has this, you know, incredible playbook and I'm just the person who hasn't been able to find it. <laughs> so I just start banging down the doors of enterprise, SMB, mid-market orgs, very well-known, reputable brands, you know, hungry for the playbook. It wasn't to disprove anything. What I came to find was uh, most of them were in the same spot, if not worse, than than I was whenever you peeled back the curtain. And so I think that there needs to be a um, not abandonment, but a pivot away from, quote unquote, what is best in practice, because industry statistics are yielding that 76% of SDRs aren't hitting quota. 85% of AEs aren't hitting 75% of their quota. So the best in practice that we have, I think... The first step is, is just admitting from an ego perspective that what we're doing certainly at minimum has room for improvement. But uh, in a realistic scenario, if we saw it in the light of day, that it is uh, best house on a bad block at best. So I, I, I think that that would be the first step is admitting, okay, there's a problem here if most of our reps aren't hitting quota. And what do we do from a KPI perspective? What do we do from a process perspective? 
And let's talk about tactical and the little hook later. But what do we do from a real sustainability perspective to make this this number go down? Okay, so you're speaking my language, different dialect, but definitely my language. My question is this. How can we create an environment where we're seen as the ally of our customer instead of their adversary or their accomplice? Oh, yeah. Two, uh, both your last two questions are, are could be a webinar in and of itself. So I'm going to aim to tackle the KPI one and then, and then dig into kind of the tactical, how we can be on their side. From a KPI perspective, um, from my view, I don't know if this is going to be too brash, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Everyone wrong. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Virtually every every KPI is either a lagging indicator or meaningless. Totally. So, um, you know, from the traditional SaaS model is, you know, marketing is going to be measured on an MQL number and the MQL is just going to be anyone who downloads your content. Whether that is, you know, someone who doesn't hit the right level of title, like they're an individual contributor and you only sell into managers, whether that's someone who doesn't hit the right discipline of title of like they're in sales enablement and you sell into sales, you know, whether that's someone who doesn't hit the right firmographic criteria of they're a part of a 200 person organization and you only sell to 500 plus, you know, whether that's a current customer, whether that's someone you're already selling into. We're going to call that the marketing qualified lead unless they have a personal Gmail address. And I'm like, wait, so let's back up here. Mark Benioff has a personal email. (laughs) There's not necessarily a correlation to the qualification rate. It's just a correlation to they didn't want to give you their uh, business information. So you didn't send them endless nurturing emails and you allowed them to by, you know, allowing them to send over a personal Gmail. You're going into their spam box. Yeah, but just, yeah, exactly. So just in terms of the MQL alone, the marketing team, you know, we're measuring people from a brand perspective of like, it is a marketing qualified lead if they download this piece of content. So that's one of the first metrics, you know, and people say the MQL is dead. I'm like, well, time out. The MQL as you're defining it is dead, but the MQL itself is not dead. We're passing those over to a sales development team. And then we're saying, hey, here's a list of people who downloaded our content. Can you follow up on them? So like sales development, you know, guts through the list, spends a whole bunch of time to get out the 25% of people that actually do hit the right title, actually are a part of the right company you aren't currently selling into and aren't currently a customer. Then they have to double verify or get their email address, get their direct dial, and then put them into a sequence. And the amount of time lift from that, just the the scalability perspective to do that, it's quicker for them to just go to their account at Oracle and find a VP of sales and get their email and their their direct dial. So sales is yelling at marketing saying like, hey, all these leads are bullcrap. And for a lot of perspective, they're correct. 75% of them were. And marketing's yelling back at sales of like, hey, you never follow up with any of our leads from the event. And they're like, yeah, it's because we don't want to spend the time to get through the list. And so like here in and of itself, people call it the age old gap. I'm like, it's a lead rooting gap. That's all it is. (laughs) It's a lead rooting gap and a scanning gap and a KPI gap is what's happening at the core of it. So the KPI system question 
is the one that most organizations aren't asking. But when it comes down to it, is it probably if not the at the fulcrum and the the fulcrum culprit of the entire uh, you know drama between the departments. So this then comes back to the question about alignment around the customer. Yeah. At the end of the day. Your customer has never, will never, and under no circumstances in any universe will ever buy your product. They pay for the outcome. And part of the problem is that if you don't build your process around the execution and delivery of that outcome, then you will drive transactional behavior because I've got to hit my quota this month, come what may. You will drive a disconnect between all the different revenue operation functions that touch the customer Mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. So their experience will be jagged and your relationship will be brittle. And then you suffer from churn at 15 20%, which means that every three years you have to replace half of the customers you got through the front door because you let them out the back. Mm -hmm. And you burn through SDRs, AEs, and managers like they're going out of fashion. Yeah. So at some point, someone has to ask, there are quite a lot of unintended consequences going on. What the hell is going on? Why don't they? I think that they ask the question, but I think the most toxic and paralyzing response that I've heard back to these people is the same response I heard when I asked the questions is, well, this is how it's done. This is how it's done. And this is best in practice. And so to... To truly solve that, you have to come up, you have to be completely open-handed from an ego perspective of if this isn't working for me, however I define working for me, if it's not delivering on my outcome, I'm going to release it into the wild, learn from it, and become monomaniacal about chasing down what is working and optimize for that and double down. And I'm not going to Christopher Columbus didn't exactly, you know, ask for any uh, permission (laughs) to run into the big rock, right? So you have to have a spirit to you of like, okay, I'm going to chase down what works and I'm going to figure out and I'm going to be egoless in the process of like figuring out what is objectively correct and objectively true here. And how do I knit together a KPI? Let's take KPI systems, for instance, of like, you know, most all bound SDRs that I know, they're measured on this like meeting quota, you know, and so they have a meeting quota of like 15 meetings and then marketing pours in and they get these demo requests for 10, 10 of their demo requests and they set the meeting and then they're measured on influence pipeline. I'm like, wait, time out. But they didn't cause that demo request. Number yeah. one. Number two, so you're double paying for these marketing leads for them to, you're double paying to slow down your buyer's journey. For them to get this time in the calendar where they ask bank questions, best case scenario, kind of piss off your buyer. The AE doesn't listen to the questions and then they jump on the line with the AE and they have to repeat the band answers, you know, that they said at the beginning, you know, and then the, the SDR hits 10 out of 15 of their, their meeting goals. And you're measuring influence pipeline in terms of let's define influence pipeline as like, okay, it's org size. So an intern at Oracle requests a demo and I was responsible for prospecting into Oracle. So now a 10th or a 15th of my quota is alleviated because I got time with that intern on the calendar, which an intern in no case regard hits my ideal customer title. And then you're going to tell me that this is worth an influence pipeline of $5 billion because it's Oracle. Your AE gets it. And it's like, 
what the actual hell is going on. So it's like, it takes a departure from, okay, if something's not working for me, then I need to figure out what the answer is and be pragmatic about that and be logical about that. And I I need to, if something isn't yielding the result that I need from a logistical or logical perspective, I need to be okay with letting that go, whether that's industry standard or not, because it's not innately helping me in my day-to-day. But that strikes me as difficult work. Sure. And management and leadership don't like doing difficult work. Well, here's the thing. The more difficult work is not hitting quota or not having my org running as an engine or a system. And so I, I agree with you. But the more difficult work is going to be the the earlier, the former problem that you described to me. <laughs> yeah, but you'd be amazed at just how many people can be burnt out and churned through the grist mill before the leader eventually takes it in the neck. But by the 18-month mark, they've probably already got their CV out. Okay, so let's explore some frequently unasked questions. <laughs> let's go with the tactical one, which is, How do buyers, how how do I like to buy? How do buyers like to buy? And why is there such a massive disconnect between the way most organizations sell? Mm -hmm. And if they were in the buyer seat, they would run a mile. But apparently it's okay. Yeah. So you so you want to know why there's that palpable gap or that would be really cool if you could shed some reason and logic upon this largely irrational. (laughs) I think from the high level, you know, most people are, they're thinking about process and they're giving themselves the emotional out by saying that they're considering scale, but how they're building that scale is by orienting a process that is good for their organization and takes in at best case scenario, 20% of the mindset of the buyer into the process where I would Posit that you flip the script, so to speak, that you start with how buyers like to buy, what they're metric on, and understanding their mindset. And you only buy because you have a problem that you want to solve for to get an outcome that you want to achieve with using a product. So, starting there with the buyer's journey, you know, of like I've, I've heard some uh, heroic tales of, you know, CEOs of, of uh, hotel chains and they'll once a month or, or once a year stay in their hotel to understand buyer journey. I'm like, you should stay in that hotel every day for a month. Yeah. Then you start to know what your patrons are feeling, what your clients are feeling, and you should build this scalable process based on like, what does it feel like to eat, live, breathe in that hotel? Because that's how your prospects are thinking. So from the high level, from like, let's take B2B SaaS, for instance, for selling. It's like, you know, the objection handle in the industry is like, oh, okay, send me an email. Well, what would you like for me to include in that email? I'm like, are you out of your mind? That is someone telling you to go away. (laughs) They want to feel like a nice person. So that's like you you're, you saying like, hey, Beck, will you go out with me on Friday? And I'm like, ah, no, I'm busy washing my hair at seven. That's like sending me shampoo for, to keep my hair cleaner for longer so I can go out on the date. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not the real objection, you know, kind of thing. And uh, But again, I think that 
there are a number of parallel threads that are broken. One is leadership, compensation, and KPIs, which then filters down to management uh, compensation and KPIs, and the culture that is created by the investors. You then have, so let me ask you this. I suspect your response will be justifiably contentious. Is what passes for great in sales fit for purpose? What do you mean by that? It's a good question. What do you mean? What passes for great generally is money motivated, will to win, competitive. Then as an afterthought, there's consistency. And the the, the problem with that is you encourage transactional sellers. Yeah. So, yeah, here's the thing. I love competition and I love aggression. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be competitive. I'm saying that the way that they're being competitive is, from my perspective, incorrect. And they need to learn how to be competitive in the right way. So if I'm going to be competitive, all I have to do is outsell you. So if I do that by being aggressive about knowing who my buyer is and aggressive about things that matter to them, and I'm less aggressive on quantity, or if I'm aggressive about sending them value, aggressive about sending them articles, aggressive about sending them, you know, ideas that are for free that don't result back to me, resort back to me being the hero. That's all, or aggressive about showing up for them whenever there isn't money in it in the deal to be had for me. That is how you sell. So I'm like, I think some people think like, oh, Beck, she's the super empathetic one, you know, and she's like, she's focused on personalization because it feels better to sell that way to know your buyer. I'm like, wait, time out. Beck and her root wants to smoke everyone in the room in terms of who's on top of the leaderboard. Let's be very clear. Now, how I was doing that was knowing how buyers like to buy. They like to feel supported They and good for them. It's fair of what they're... Wanting to wanting that, to feel like that, that you that's, what, that's what Simon Bowen would describe as the I should bloody hope so line. Yeah. Right. They want want you to know them. They want you to know their background. They want you to know something about their company. You know, and the sales rep is like, well, that's ridiculous. We couldn't scale that. And it's like, but what you're trying to scale, when I started at my first sales tech company, I had to unhinge a lot of theories that were extremely age-old theories that are so intertwined into sales culture that it's like taking them away is like ripping out their veins. But I knew, I'm like, when you bring the numbers back of like, hey, give me a shot to prove out some theories. And if I don't 2X you in a month, you can fire me. I knew at the end of the day, it'd come down to numbers. And I'm like, I had a feeling that if I knew something about my buyer and their company and that their role and them in specific from the psychographic perspective, then it was going to cause them to at least give me the time of day to read my email. You know, so I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll say this and then I promise I'll be quiet for a minute, but there was a post the other day on social media and, you know, I have a whole bunch of people coming at me for personalization. They're like, Oh, do you really need a blah, blah. So someone said like, okay, Encouraging personalization, this is what this person wrote. Encouraging personalization is like saying if someone was on fire in a building that was on fire and you're selling a you know fire extinguisher, that you should have to know something about them in specific. 
And I'm like, you know, and he said like, hey, the fire extinguisher, you know, just needs to be there and the person's going to pick it up and they're going to put out the fire. And I said, but time out your analogies. I'm thinking in my head, your analogy's flawed. That's not what it's like in the sales community. That's, no, that's like one fire extinguisher among 400 and you have to stand out. And that they, that's assuming that they know that you're a fire extinguisher and what your purpose is within sales is yeah. never true. There's too much machismo in sales. The language of campaigns and closing and seeing the prospect in this adversarial light. What you've just described is really a microcosm of life. If you want to get on with people, you need to understand them. You have to make what you're selling relevant. It has to be timely. It needs to deliver value. And they don't care about your quota. They don't care about joining President's Club. They don't care about the jolly to the Bahamas. They care about, it's you know, can you help me fix my problem? Can you bring value that I can't get without your help? Totally. I could not agree more. And I'm so glad that you say that. I've been reading a lot of, um, which I always have, but I've been doubling down on his work recently of, Eric Byrne, and I know he wrote the uh, Games People Play is the the book that people read a lot, but he wrote a lot of different books on the transactional analysis. He's known as the father of transactional analysis. I'm probably preaching the choir here. Absolutely. That really was, is, you know, the transaction between two people by way of conversation and what he found, and he says it in in one of his books, uh, Beyond Games and Scripts, he says that sales is a game. And that's why people don't like playing it because in a game, the rules of a game are is that there's one person against another player. It's a salesperson against being sold to and that you withhold information so that you can win. So the buyer deep down, people love to buy, but they hate to be sold to. And the reason is, is they're assuming that they're mutually exclusive, that when I buy from this person, they win and I inherently lose. So they don't want to be a part of that process. So I'm like, here's the culprit from a psychology view of because of how we've geared this thing and President's Club, blah, 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 and the gong going off. It it just adds gas on the fire, just adds gas on the fire from the perspective of I'm not an advocate of my prospect. I'm not here to help them. I'm here to just push software on them at any, you know, any way that I can get the deal across the line. And the funny thing is, it's like, hey, what's the technique that I can use so that I can get this person to buy? I'm like, there's no technique. Figure out from an agendaless view where they are, what they're trying to solve, and why they're how they're trying to solve it. And is that like, from your perspective, given your expertise, is that going to get them to where they want to go? And then it's just a mutual, like a descriptive process of like, hey, okay, is this all correct? So you really are their advocate. So at the end of every month or every quarter, there's an extension to the number of days in the month and pressure is suddenly applied to get any deal in no matter what, because as you said, 76% of SDRs are missing quota and 85% of AEs are not hitting 75% of quota. 
That is an indictment on leadership and management. Yeah. And pillaging next quarter's pipeline to make up for your deficiencies as a manager this quarter should be an act of gross misconduct. Yes. So again, if we look at, let's take this back to measurement, because these are people who claim that they are all about shareholder value, that they're trying to drive the value of the business up. And they kind of get away with it because the Fed's down at 0% interest. Debt is at all-time highs. There's loads of money sloshing around, ready to be parted from the fools who have it. I saw, I can't remember who it was, a couple of weeks ago, $300 million to produce a sequencer. It does strike me as being, it's not like they haven't already got a sequencer, and there are plenty out there. Right. As if the world needed another one. Yeah. So what's my question? How can we challenge people by asking them to measure the right metrics Mm -hmm. so they realize how much inherent waste there is in sticking with the status quo? Well, I think there's two things to it. And whether either one of these are achievable within B2B, I'll let you know at the end of my career. Because I'm going to spend my career fight, you know, not fighting them, but trying to enhorse them, if you will. But I think the first problem, again, this is one girl's perspective, right? But the first problem that you're inherently going to have is there's typically no one central role, specifically within enterprise, one role of someone who is responsible for the front to end uh, revenue number. And what I mean by front to end is marketing, along with sales development, along with sales, along with AMRM cross-sell, upsell, renewal, along with CSM of like the entire go-to-market team. Typically at most, I'll see the CRO pick up the sales development piece and the pipeline piece and span to CSM. Sometimes I see it just sales dev and sales, you know, but there's no... uh, That's not a CRO. That's a VP of sales with the CRO title. Right, exactly. And that's how I'm seeing it shake out. So I feel like there's no one arbiter because there's gonna be there's gonna be some decisions that are good for your marketing team, but are bad for the overall org. Okay. There's gonna be some decisions that are good for the sales development team, but aren't great for sales. There's gonna be some decisions that are gonna be good for sales, but aren't gonna be great for sales development or CSM, you know, but they're better for the entire org. So I think there should be one arbiter that's on the line from marketing all the way to CSM, who is responsible for that overall revenue number, and that they should be the one, you know, with the keys to make the decisions on all these interdepartmental decisions. Because reality is like, okay, let's take the MQL thing, for instance. If I'm a marketer, and you tell me that an MQL number should only be based based on people we haven't sold into, that we aren't currently selling into, that hit this level of title, that hit this level of company, away from, you know, we were pre-existingly measured on just if the person downloaded content, bada bing, I'm going to say, heck no, I'm going to fight that as a marketer because it's going to drastically decrease my number. But that's for the overall health of the department. So if there's not someone who's over who's overseeing, so the, the first piece that I think most orgs are missing is usually how I see it again is like CEO is the vision person and then CRO at best is sales dev all the way to CSM. 
but that all, all teams from marketing all the way to CSM should be overseen from some responsibility perspective or accountability perspective by one person and have interdepartmental team heads. In the companies that I'm working as CRO, we're making it so that the CS head has to approve a deal before it can go through. And that's an interesting shift because if we can't deliver, we have no business selling it. Right, right. So there, yeah, there should be peer, uh, they should all be peers from my perspective. Sales dev, along with marketing, along with sales, along with CS, you know, along with CS with a, a common head that roll up to a CRO. But there also needs to be collaboration. My pal, Patrick Lindqvist, runs uh, an innovation challenge uh, in the city of Helsingborg. So by 2023, they're aiming to be Europe's uh, city of innovation. They've got a very modest budget, but one of the things that I thought was absolute genius was hiring people called managers of the gap. I'm not going to attempt the Swedish. And their job was to bridge the gaps between the silos. Yes. And I think what's really missing in many revenue organizations is lack of not only accountability, but familiarity with Mm -hmm. the work that each other does, what progress they're making, and what impact you doing a good job or a bad job has on the other moving parts, Mm -hmm. Um, and even more broadly into the rest of the organization and obviously the customer. And I don't think there's anywhere near enough of that level of collaboration going on at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of kind of bleeds into the the second piece that I think is vital for orgs. But like you said, the 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 funnel where it's going to be weakest is the hinges. Marketing the sales dev, not only from the pass off pass off perspective, but that's where you're bleeding out your hemorrhaging out your leads, your pipeline through follow up process, et cetera. I won't even get into it. But I think what's necessary, the second piece that's necessary is, you know, you said like, hey, what metrics should we be measuring, you know, for overall uh, overall pipeline health? I don't believe based on the current definitions of terms within our CRM that we have set ourselves up to measure the right things. I'll give you a great example. Within any kind of handoff from sales dev to sales, you'll have a process of, okay, this is, and the the terms are going to interchange, but it's something like this. This is a sales qualified lead. And what I mean by that is the sales dev team set an appointment. You know, they set an appointment and the salesperson's going to come in. The salesperson's going to come in and they're going to say like, they're going to ban them or based on need or based on timeline or based on, you know, use case or et cetera. I'm going to say that this is qualified or not. And I'm going to define that an SAL, a sales accepted lead or a sales qualified opportunity, an SQO or a sales decline lead or dead on arrival. Like this isn't someone someone that I want to talk to. And I'm like, well, the first problem is, is that an AE is measured on conversion ratio from first discovery meeting that's quote unquote qualified into closed one. So they inherently have a bias to disqualify and say that this person wasn't qualified. And how they can do that is basically by saying like, oh, there wasn't a need here. And it's like, wait, time out. That's your job is to ask the right amount of questions to uncover what problem they're, they're on the line for some reason. 
If I'm a VP of sales and I took 30 minutes and I, at Oracle and I took 30 minutes to talk to you, it's because in my head, deep down, whether I tell you or not, there's a problem that I think I might be able to solve using you. That's why I gave you the time. And so the AE says like, oh, well, they didn't volley up like, okay, based on their understanding of their problem and your product, that there was a need. And so this isn't disqualified. So the swing rate is like 90% of what AEs are saying is qualified or isn't qualified based on what they feel they feel would close or not. And considering they're measured on conversion and they want to delay a churn of, you know, their bosses like, Hey, you're not hitting quota. They're going to inherently blame something else. And how they're going to do that is say my pipeline was just unqualified. Well, the, the stats on this are truly fucking terrifying without putting too fine a point on it. Based on connect and sales uh, records of 40 million calls a year, it's one in 36 goes through to a decision maker. Sorry, one in 33, unless you're calling a senior exec in IT, in which case it's one in 46. So dial to effective is a one in 46. Right. Effective to meeting is one in 14. And conversion from first to second, which is the most depressing statistic, is one in eight. So 88% of the time your salesperson turns up, they don't deliver enough value to justify being invited back. doesn't mean they won't have agreed to do a whole load of work for free that no one's going to read because it goes straight in the round file. Right. But they've not created enough value. Now, bear in mind, prior to that, they'll have done their MQLs. So they'll have blown 10 bucks a pop to acquire the spam email address of somebody whose only intent was to download your white paper. Right. It wasn't to purchase. Again, we have this cabal of sales and MarTech spaghetti that lots of people have been sold um, without really thinking about how to use it effectively. And I see an awful lot of shiny object syndrome out there with all these technologies. And you see so much crossover in functionality. You see people doing horrific acts of barbarism, like sending out 100,000 emails mm -hmm. and wondering why they get blocked by Google or not even noticing and continuing to send 100,000 emails a month and wondering why people are pissed off. Am I missing something? Uh, the only thing, yeah. No, that, that's all, all correct. All correct. I, I don't think anyone would admit that and mm. sales or any tech vendors that themselves. But the the you said something interesting, which is what I, I've I've spent the the last whatever five years of my career and will will continue to spend my time on is the how. No one will tell you the how. How do you sequence these people? How do you bridge the it, like? How do you bridge the gap from MQL number to actually the amount of people that you can sell into? How do you lead root all of these people? How do you set up from a tactical perspective, sequencing perspective, KPI system? All of the how is left up to the user, you know. And the problem with that is a limited understanding. Be limited time in terms of bandwidth. So we've just essentially, you know, handed all of these really, really great, you know, for lack of better PC purposes, rifles to someone and said, hey, go hunt these people down. And the problem is, is they don't understand 
you know, what this thing is, what are all the functionality, when would they use that, in what case scenario, and there's no vision of the how to use the rifle. So essentially all it is, is a really, really expensive stick that they're trying to boot it, like beat a moose down with. But again, all of this back points to the fact that they talk about scale when what they do is they just apply brute force to drive growth. And their growth is linear by and large. I I mean, I've yet to go into an organization where I couldn't find 400% growth potential latent within their existing accounts, cross-sells, upsells, the ecosystem, and eliminating waste and acts of idiocy and self-sabotage. The average rep spends 80% of their working career chasing people. They should have qualified or disqualified or closed on the last call. They spend 12 to 21% of their time actually in front of customers. And in the pandemic, I would be amazed if it was even that high. Mm-hmm. And yet they measure all the wrong things. I mean, to me, the only thing I'm really interested in is, is there enough behavior going in at the top of the funnel? Are they advancing sales because it means they turned up and they were relevant? And is there enough at the qualified moving to closable stage for us to reliably be able to hit our quota without having to pillage next month's uh, pipeline? Mm-hmm. And do we have a strong referral base within those accounts? If we've got those four things, chances are we're probably going to hit our quota. But stop worrying about the brute force metrics. Yes. <laughs> okay. it's, it's, go ahead. That'll teach me not to end on a question mark. <laughs> so go ahead. No, I, I didn't know what the question was. <laughs> My question is, what are the minimum metrics that are good, clear leading indicators that someone can simply measure that are 100% with the rep, within the rep's control? So I would start from the marketing perspective. If it were me, I would define within my CRM contacts as anyone who downloaded anything or that you acquired through an outbound perspective. It's just a list. It's just a list of people within your CRM. I would define leads as people within that CRM that hit the firmographic and uh, demographic in in terms of nomenclature and titular ambits that you give them. So like a lead would be, let's say the titles of manager level and above and over 200 person companies, you know, so that would be a lead is anyone out of that contact base who hit those. And MQL would be anyone out of that lead base that hit all that criteria that marketing got to engage with some level of action of like that's they downloaded content, they attended a webinar, you know, et cetera. So the uh, contact to lead will show you out of the CRM, the contact to lead percentage will show you out of your CRM, how much percentage of your CRM do you actually want to sell into? The lead to MQL will show you out of that lead base of the people that you want to sell into, how many people were you successful in getting somewhat engaged with you and your, your brand or your content, or they know who you are. From there, whenever marketing acquires that lead and sales development does the uh, back analysis of like, yes, this is the right person. They do hit the right company. I agree with you, you know, that the email address looks correct. They can have an MAL or marketing accepted lead or an MDL or marketing decline lead. 
you know, that like, actually, this isn't the right person at the company, even though we thought they hit that gate. And so MQL to MAL or MDL will show you the percentage basically out of the, uh, the leads that were acquired from marketing, which one was truly correct. So like, was our data true? And then an MQO would be the last definition for marketing, which would be a lead that was an MAL. So marketing acquired them through some action. They did hit the right title. They did hit the right company. And sales development wants to take them in their pipeline. That would be an MQO. So it'd be the first round of definitions that I would suggest for a marketing team. For the sales team, you know, I would basically, the biggest thing that sales uh, teams can do to help them from a metric perspective is to define an accepted lead from sales as a lead who hits an overt, objective, definable criteria that's bereft of or void of the subjective quality of need, timeline, buy-in, decision-making authority, and just define it and say, we sell into managers of sales at 200 plus companies. So if I said an SQL, I'm a sales development rep and I said SQL being defined as I said an appointment with them, an SAL should be a accepted lead, meaning this was the right title, this was the right size company, and they showed up. Those are the only reasons they should be declined. Yeah, and, not banned. Right. Those are the only reasons they should be declined. And you should know all those things beforehand so you don't have to bant them on the spot. Because asking someone if they have budget, you know, it's kind of like asking someone at the beginning of a, of a dinner of like your first date of like, hey, do you want kids and do you want to get married and are you ready for a serious relationship? Yeah. Valid question, but you don't tease out the answer by asking it and you probably scare away perfectly nice people in the process. Yeah. So by defining it that way, you know, and so sales isn't in this authoritative role, you know, of like falsely authoritative role of saying what's qualified. They're just answering, was it a director or not? Was it a 200 plus company or not? And if so, it's accepted. If not, it's declined. And if I want to take it into my pipeline, that being defined as I want to take a second meeting, I'll call it an SQO. That is the infrastructure that will just give you now even the hopes of measuring the right things. And I've never seen an organization have that. And I have to say, I love the granular focus because you know that it's progressing or it's out. And the objective is to end up with a thong-shaped pipeline instead of the pair of granny knickers that most people have or the pencil because they're either not doing the prospecting and they're relying on this mythical steady pipeline of referrals that doesn't happen it just happens as a nice surprise or they're just keeping everything in the pipeline because they're afraid that if they told the truth then they'd be out of a job and again the amount of time that is wasted by entire sales teams sitting around listening to other people lie from their work of fiction also known as a forecast you can recover probably 30 31 hours and in pointless meetings where people are sat listening to other people report. Yeah. Um, why is that even necessary? Why would you not just have a one-to-one with your manager? When you get everybody together, you use that as an opportunity to learn. I agree. Well, okay. it's, it's a, what are we even trying to base it on? We're trying to base 
we're trying to base uh, coaching off of conversion percentage of what an AE thought was qualified into closed one. <laughs> it's, anywho, I don't mean to take a dump, uh, you know, of everyone on the, the info dump. So from the tactical takeaway, I know that we're, we're closed up here on an hour. And so we have to close out But from a tactical takeaway. You know, I think the three things that I would be asking is number one, am I selling how I would like to buy? And, you know, when someone gives me the objection of send me an email or when I walk into a retail store and the person says like, Hey, can I help you with anything? And I say, no, 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 I'm just looking. Why am I lying? And what do I want instead? And start your tactical process there. So that'd be number one. Two would be think about, ask yourself the question, what KPI, what am I motivating through the KPI systems that I've given my reps? And is that what I want to motivate? And then number three would be, am I measuring what leading, leaning and lagging indicators within my sales org am I optimizing for? And is my data anything based on the pre-existing definitions and how much subjectivity am I introducing into those metrics that tears at their validity through by the way of uh, imposed agenda? So what data am I measuring? Why am I measuring that? And how accurate do I believe that to be to the cause that I'm trying to drive? Outstanding. So on our next call, subtle hint, did you feel the brick hit your head? On our next call, I think we should probably explore CRM hygiene because I'm sure that's a topic that will get your blood boiling again. Okay, Beck, tell me this. You've got a golden ticket and you could go back and advise your idiot 23-year-old self who knew everything, uh, you were invincible, immortal. What one choice bit of advice would you whisper in her ear that you know should have ignored? I would have told myself, this it might be a weird one, but I, I had a lot of theories, right? When I was 23 and when I was 33, a lot of theories as to why I didn't think the thing was working. And the question I had in my head was not, are the theories valid? The question I had in my head was, even if I came up with something that was more pragmatic, is anyone interested in pushing the needle? And can I get buy-in? Would anyone be a part of that process or would anyone listen, you know, essentially? And I think that I would go back to myself at 23 and, you know, I was terrified and I thought that my opinions were valid and surely there was something wrong and surely I was missing something and surely this wasn't correct and on and on and on. Surely, surely, surely. I think I would tell her that you can change it. It's going to cost a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, the first guy through the wall always gets bloody, you know, but that you can change it just as long as you're willing to throw all in. Um, and I think she would have found a lot of comfort in that. Excellent. Well, they do say a pioneer is a man with arrows in his back. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what would you recommend people watch, read, listen to, to really try to understand the customer? and understand what they should measure and incentivize. Yeah. So if you go to, there's going to be a shameless, I'll give you one non-me and one me. Uh, If you go to, we'll start with the non-me first. I would suggest uh, you read Eric Burns' work in its entirety. He's, again, father of transactional analysis. Uh, Here, uh, not to, yeah, 
Beyond Games and Scripts is a great book of his. Uh, Games People Play is another great book of his. But start there in the understanding uh, between two people, the games that they're playing whenever they're in the different ego states and what those look like and the implications on the sales process. The second resource is if you go to flipthescript.co, I have 135 hours of recorded training all for free. All you need is an email. Uh, it's got decks, it's got everything. And if you go to uh, specifically season two or personalization point, I go into uh, very in depth in terms of uh, KPI systems, uh, how to use marketing to fuel expansion selling, you know, and NQLs will fuel expansion selling. So everything is within there. So flip the script.co and click free sales training hub. And there is a litany of different topics in there, all with decks, all for free for anyone uh, who wants to take a look. Excellent. And definitely highly recommended. Beck Holland, thank you. I had a blast. Thank you so much. Likewise. So this is Marcus County signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode and you feel like someone else would benefit from it, please tag them, share them, send it as a private message, but uh, have them engage. And if you've enjoyed it, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. If you want to get a hold of me, Marcus at laughs-last.com or direct message me on LinkedIn. Take care. Happy selling. Bye-bye.